Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Hello, hello, and welcome to a very special holiday podcast here for the Bill Press Show. Uh, That's me, Bill Press. Good to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. Hope you're enjoying the holidays. Uh, And one of the most exciting things of this year, this political year, uh, was the number of women running for office and women winning for office and now women leading the nation. We've never seen anything like it. Uh, with the Democratic uh, winning back control of the House, it not only means that we have uh, some accountability for Donald Trump, that the whole system of checks and balances is now in place, but also that the direction of the United States Congress has changed as well as the makeup and the outlook and the tone and the diversity of the United States Congress. It will never be and never look the same again. Uh, one of the organizations that uh, was way out in front and made a great contribution to that uh, success by so many women this year is Emerge America, whose founder and president, Andrea Dustiel, a longtime friend from California, joins us in studio. So good to see you again. So good to see you, Bill. Congratulations again. Uh, tell us about First Emerge America. When did you uh, have this vision of creating it? When did you get started and uh, how's it going? Well, in 2002, uh, it was a dark time. You might remember, right? This guy, George Bush, was in office. Do I ever? Right. (laughs) And I was trying to figure out how I could make a contribution. And I had worked in the Year of the Woman right here in Washington to get Carol Mosley Braun elected, Mm -hmm. 1992. And you fast forward to 2002, and I started looking at the numbers of women, and I was sitting in San Francisco, and I decided to look up my own supervisor, and I realized that there were only two women out of 11. In San Francisco. In San Francisco, of all places. Which yeah. I thought, I'm a native Floridian, I thought San Francisco was this lefty place. I'd only been there a couple of years. So I started doing some more research. And at the same time, a friend of mine came to me and said, I had been asking her to run for a couple of years, and she finally came to me and she said, okay, Andrea, I'm ready to run. What do I do? And I realized this amazing woman who wanted to run for district attorney, there was nowhere to send her. And that's when I started thinking, maybe if we could do more to give women the tools to run and not make every single woman be an entrepreneur, maybe we could get more women in the pipeline. Mm -hmm. Now, this friend of mine went on to do well for herself. She won that race for DA. Then she went on on and ran for AG, and now she's our U.S. Senator, Kamala Harris. And she was one of my inspirations. And it really is simple. It's like education is the path to so much. And it's the same in politics. Once you give women the tools in the office, then they often do that. So that's what I did in 2002. And then in 2005, I started Emerge America so we could take this model of recruitment, 
intensive training because our training is six months long, one weekend a month. Whoa. And we also do a three-day boot camp for women who need immediate training. Um, and then the, the other powerful part of our model is the sisterhood, the network. Um, but in 2005, I wanted to make sure we could bring this across the country. And we're now in 25 states and growing with a, a, the desire to be have a presence in all 50 states by 2020. How many candidates did you help this year? This year, so far, so far, because there's still races, um, we have won 406 races. So we one. We have won one. So we have won 406 races this year. Wow! Which is phenomenal, and we have five women uh, who are starting in Congress. They're here this week. And uh, we won at every level of, of the ballot. Uh, our sweet spot is a state legislature. So we ran a, won approximately 150 races in the state legislature and flipped about 45 seats from red to blue. Uh, so it's exciting. Our model is working. It's working in red states. It's working in blue states. And uh, when you give women the tools, they, they do the right thing. So you start at um, city council level, is that it? Well, we or start at every level. Right out in California, we have water boards. board, Wa yeah. school mm -hmm. board, mm -hmm. city college. Again, district attorney, the incredibly yeah. important yeah. race. Right. Um, that so many women um, who run for district attorney, they're lawyers. They're not necessarily political animals. So we give those women the tools, judges, sheriffs. There are 520,000 offices in this country, Bill. <laughs> Isn't that Imagine. amazing? Wow. And if you really want to uh, change... 525 elected offices. Yes, yeah. 520,000. If you want to change this country and change the policies that we see, you have to change the policymakers. We have to build a more reflective democracy. So it's not just a nice thing to get women in office. It's strategic. It's a way to achieve certain policy outcomes. Right. Um, what kind of, you say give them the resources, give them the skills or the tools that they need. What are we talking about? I mean, basic organizational tools, fundraising tools? Well, it's what, everything what you, you need on? to know how, how to run a campaign. So we start with communications because if you can't hmm. communicate who you are and your authentic message, you can't win a race. So we, that's the number one thing that we start with all of our trainings. And if you look at some of our women who won, Lucy McBath, Abigail Spamberger, Kim Schreier, um, Deb Holland, Sochi mm -hmm. Torres Small, they all really communicated this authentic message. Then we go into some other nuts and bolts. How do you put together a field plan? Whether you're running for city council or Congress, you have to have a field plan. We go into social media. We go into, certainly in depth, into fundraising. That's super important. How do you get endorsements? How do you work with labor? All of the nuts and bolts, Bill, of running for office that you might know, having worked in politics, <laughs> and I know, but, yeah. but yeah. if you are a woman, and particularly if you're somebody outside of the power structure and right. you want to get right. in, this is your entree. Sure. I mean, you know, those of us who worked in politics a long time, we worked, in my case, worked for candidates, run campaigns, so when you become a candidate, you sort of, you know, you've you've sort of helped put the program together, right? But exactly. people coming from the outside who haven't that experience, yeah, it's a total new world. Exactly. And if you look at somebody like Deb Holland, who is going to be the, one of the first two Native Americans ever elected, she went through Emerge uh, New Mexico in 2007. 
And she was Mm -hmm. recruited by her constitutional uh, law professor. And she really, it took her a number of years to see herself as a candidate and not just an activist. And so we really try to help transform these women who are already amazing community leaders. We want to turn them into politicians. And ultimately, we want them at the decision-making tables. Right. EmergeAmerica.org. What does it mean to you to see, and yesterday we saw the class photo, uh, well, the the other week we saw when they came to Congress, the class photo of the new incoming members of Congress. And it was remarkable to see so many, over 100 women there uh, in that class. What does this mean for the Congress? It, It means everything. Again, having diverse perspectives Having people like Lucy McBath sitting there, she lost her son Jordan in Mm -hmm. a gun violence incident. Having her sitting at the table, making the laws having to do with uh, reducing gun violence, it's it's everything. It's these diverse perspectives. Kim Schreier, the first ever female doctor elected to Congress, imagine Hmm. having her sitting there talking about Healthcare and reproductive rights. Right. And so it's the optics are important, but it's really what their life experiences, what they're going to bring to the decision-making tables. But I have to tell you, Bill, I look there and I think we're not finished yet because for every one woman, there are still three men. And that's not uh, really a reflective democracy. So I look at I'm really thrilled <laughs> and I think, okay, we've got to work twice as hard now. Uh, no, that's <laughs> so you'd like what's your goal? Well, 50 50. 50 Is that too much? Well, I thought you might say 60 40. I mean, what's the population is not 50 50, is it? I think it's 51% actually. But really? I would, I the really, the voting population is probably higher. It is, it is higher actually. Yeah. But I, I would also be happy if we can get to 30% because that's what all the research shows that when you have 30%, you can really start changing the institution. So I want to get to 30%, ideally by 2020. I'd be so happy if we could do that. But then ultimately, of course, 50-50. Right. Uh, so this is a record for the United States Congress. Uh, and and I think a record number, but it's still nowhere near 50% in the United States Senate. Meanwhile, the Republican ranks of women this year went down. They did. I is that a surprise? My uh, goodness. Electing yeah. the m- misogynist in chief. I, I, I'm, I'm not shocked. <laughs> I mean, I think Republican women are, are certainly repulsed as well. Well, and, it looks and from what we've seen of the exit polls that this year, the key factor in 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 the 2018 results were um, college educated suburban Republican women. Yes. Who might have voted for Donald Trump the last time because, after all, he was a Republican and after two years just said, no, enough's enough. And I have to tell you, though, I am very sorry to see the numbers of Republican women dwindling. Yeah. And I I would really I I think it's it's too bad because, again, when you're building a reflective democracy, you want the Republican ranks to also be reflective. And so. Uh, it, it's sad that their numbers have gone down so much. And I, I'm not devoting my time to getting Republican women in because I want to pursue a certain policy agenda. However, I, I do hope that um, something changes in that party. As so well. I should have asked that. So your focus is Democrats, Democrat, I would assume Democratic pro-choice women. 
actually just Democratic women. Really? We don't yeah. um, have any litmus any tests. Um, we want to give our women the tools. And as you know, the Democratic Party platform, um, you know, outlines right. a whole series of issues. But this is partly why we launched in Alabama this year. We launched in South Carolina. We launched in Louisiana, Arkansas. Mm. And that that's part of us being able to go into a state and say, we want to give women the tools. And we're fortunate to have Gloria Steinem on our advisory board, Cecile Richards. Um, and we certainly are hoping to build this incredible bench of Democratic women. Um, pardon me. And we also, we, we Washington-centric, tend to focus on the Congress uh, and the Senate. I know you don't exclusively at all, but those of us who live here and work here tend to think this is, you know, everything revolves around Washington. Even though it's it only 0.07 percent of the politicians in this country. There you go. I didn't realize it was that small. But governorships are so important. And we saw several women, new Democratic women governors elected this year as well. Extremely important, particularly looking at 2020. Critical. I'm yeah. so thrilled. And some great women, because we were down to two Democratic women in this entire country. So it's exciting that we have Gretchen Whitmer from Michigan, Michigan, right? Mm -hmm. Michelle Lujan Grisham. In Cape, New Mexico. Exactly. Kate Brown in Oregon. Um, Janet uh, Mills in Maine. That's right. right. Janet Mills. And then in Kansas. Yeah. Lucy Whit No, Lucy Whitmer. I'm blanking on her name. Me too. Again. It was a surprise in yes. Kansas. Yeah. Kansas they would, of all places. Yeah, exactly. And Nevada too, correct? Yes. No, Nevada doesn't just, um, <laughs> they have two women senators, but it was a, a man who won, which is great. Because yeah. um, we need that. But we're still, again, uh, underrepresented as women in governorships. However, we we definitely went in the right direction, which is exciting. There are Democrats I know who say that um, for the Democrats to have a chance getting back to the White House in 2020, um, they have to have a white male candidate. Well, this is the big debate right now, Right. And I just and I say why I mean anyhow, but I'd like to. Yeah, what, no, what I, I think it's I, an interesting conversation. I want to make it the new normal for women to run for president. So I am hoping that we have a crowded field of women running, so that it's not unusual, right? Yeah. And so that's really what I'm hoping to see. By the way, I think you're going to get your wish because it's already looking that way, right? I, and when I, you talk about. Your Emerge America alumna, uh, Kamala Harris. Yeah, she's not an alumna, but she was one of my inspirations. So. Okay, okay. Uh, but you've got, you know, Kirsten Gillibrand and Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren. And so exactly. there's no lack of women who are looking at it. Exactly. And I, and I should. I think so. And I think we should have a robust <clears throat> um, primary and let the best person rise to the top. And I just hope that we will have women in that mix, because if we don't, then it just isn't, to me, it's just not going to be a, a good primary. You need to have women always in every every presidential primary. And it still astounds me that when you look at other countries um, so far ahead of the United States in right. terms of women leaders, whether it's Angela Merkel or back, you know, to, uh, and Theresa May, you know, in, in England. Um, We're around 100th in the world in terms of women's representation, which is astounding, right? But it's taken us so long. Yeah, I know. Well, I really believe that it's because we don't have a very family-friendly society. 
and uh, we don't have universal child care. Um, there are so many impediments to mm. women really realizing their full potential. And if we can get more women in there, if we can pass some more structural reform, as in universal child care, um, we, we are one of only two countries in the world, I, I believe, that doesn't have uh, mandatory um, family leave or paid family leave, right, as a federal program. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's, that's really criminal as someone who has three children um, <laughs> to not be able to allow people, women, to take off time. So if, I believe if we can get some of those policies in, women can better realize their, their full potential. Right. Uh, you live in San Francisco. San Francisco had a very interesting mayor's race this year, uh, and they have that incredibly complicated tiered voting system <laughs> that I can never understand. It's true. But somehow out of it emerged a wonderful new mayor, London Breed. And she is an Emerge alum. Oh, she is. So, oh, she is. Yes, there, there and she was, right. she was actually recruited by Kamala Harris to do Emerge, uh, and she... She says herself she went kicking and screaming, and she graduated from uh, our Emerge program in California in 2008. And she's, she's a great story, right? 2008, and then she ran for supervisor, became the board chair, and then when our mayor tragically died, she assumed leadership and mm-hmm. then ended up running for that seat. And it was a doozy. It was a nail-biter. Right. Um, she ran an incredible race. I was so proud of her. And... Uh, I'm still, I'm just so pleased that she's in office. She became acting mayor and then stepped aside. Well, she didn't In step... order to run. Oh, well, that's no, right. No, no she, it was they a were. coup. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Basically, yeah. you know, she was ousted she and was they installed ousted. a white male venture capitalist, which um, was somewhat perplexing because the, you had just had the Women's March. You had had Oprah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, speaking And turned off a Oscar. lot of people. Yes. I mean, that, that exactly. move. Yeah. Exactly. But we actually also, the mayor of Oakland is an Emerge alum as well. She graduated in 2009. So it's nice that those two cities <laughs> have Emerge uh, alums as you, mayors. You've, yeah. got the, you've got the Bay Area covered, huh? Well, yeah. mayor, mayoral positions are really important as well. Extremely Think about important. it. Gavin Newsom was mayor. And now he's going to be our governor. Diane Feinstein. And it's great to get women in Jerry these. Jerry Brown. Jerry Brown was mayor. Exactly. And we've got to get women in these executive positions. You mentioned uh, one of the most exciting experiences in my life, uh, the Women's March, January 21, 2017. And, you know, in a sense, it never stopped, has it, right? The Women's March is still marching. You're right, Bill. Running now. Right. I mean, to me, it's this movement that started there. Here in Washington, I, that's where I was, but it was all over the country, all over the world. And that energy is just incredible. It still is incredible. You're right. Uh, again, the election of this, um, you know, sexual predator and, and misogynist. I mean, it was the biggest slap that we as women have ever experienced. And it woke a lot of women up. I was, I was awake because I'd been doing this work for years. Yeah. Uh, a lot of women weren't. And I mean, my friends, the communities, you saw women and it, and they've continued to really fuel the resistance. They mm-hmm. are. And, and I, I'm really thrilled about that because, again, as a mother, I, I really believe that we need to see our activism as an extension of our parenting. And if you are not an activist and you have kids, I don't know what you're doing because it is critical. Right. I mean, I'm in California. We have wildfires you know, the crisis with our climate right now. 
I mean, what, what's more important than the air we breathe? What more could we be doing for our children than fighting for the environment? Right. I don't know. No. It, it, it is ironic that it took the number one sexual predator, right, being elected to really wake everybody up and vote it. But uh, I keep hearing, like you mentioned, what, 406 yes. races that you've won this year. It's just this year, yeah. I mean, I don't want to give him any credit, but... Even at the women's march, there are a lot of people who came out in response to Donald Trump and then said, I got to do something about this. And one thing I can do is, yeah, I can get active politically. I can even run for office, right? You're right. And and I like to credit and Hillary, if it took though. That to get some people. I and would Hillary like to, too. I'd like to yeah. credit her, too, because I, I would argue that not since yes. JFK has anybody inspired a movement like her. And I think there were a lot of women who thought, thought they were going to have the first woman president and then realized, yeah. oh, and watching her be taken down. Somebody, I mean, arguably the most qualified candidate we've ever had in the history of this country president Obama, running for president. President Obama said that when he endorsed her. Right. And, yeah, he was and right. So I'd like to give her that credit, and I think that she has inspired people. But it was incredible. And last year, in 2017, we we are in um, in Virginia, and um, we, you know, Democrats flipped 15 seats and 11 of those seats were flipped by women and nine of them were Emerge alums. No kidding. And yeah, those women yeah. woke up and they went to the march and they mm-hmm. said, I am going to run for office. And they did. And they won. And, and that's really important. An important message is of of the seats flipped this year in Congress, um, where I think we're up to 24 out of the 35 or 36 seats flipped that were flipped by women. So it's yeah. just really important. And the three in Virginia, you know, Abigail Spanberg, you yes. mentioned her, uh, and uh, Jennifer Gen- Wexton. Exactly. Luria, Lur- I think, yeah. Elaine Luria. Elaine Luria. Yeah, she's right, not a, an alum, but um, Abigail Spanberg is. But yes, so, exactly. That's right. right. So you're still there. You're in more states than ever. You mentioned 25 states now. That's right. right. Uh, it is Emerge America, emergeamerica.org. Uh, so what is your message to um, particularly young women who are watching, listening, um, maybe feeling the itch a little bit? What, are they, what should they do? Well, I want to say to all women, young, older, consider running for office at some point in your life. Just like people used to do military service, we need to start thinking of running for office as a way of serving our country. And at some point, you can do it for, you know, when you're younger, serve for 10 years in the city council. Do it when you're older. But we need to start considering this as as a way, again, of, of changing our country. You know, there's so many women who want to serve their community, and they just don't see politics as that realm. And we have to keep the momentum going from this year and keep women thinking about running. And I just have to say, we're there for you. We're in 25 states, but we're hosting boot camps uh, next year for women who aren't in those states, three-day boot camps. And we want to make sure there is not a single woman in this country, Democratic woman who wants to run for office, who doesn't have access to really quality training. Right. And you're there. We're there. We're there for them. Emerge. EmergeAmerica.org. You don't have to do it on your own. You've got the sisterhood, right, waiting for you. That's right, Bill. That's that's exactly right. Thanks so much for what you're doing. Oh, uh, it's a labor of love. Change the direction of the country. Uh, 
Uh, so Andrea Dew-Steele, who is the founder and the president of Emerge America. Again, it's EmergeAmerica.org. Thanks for uh, braving uh, the weather to come in to see us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your holiday, folks, uh, here on The Bill Press Show. And we'll see you when we're all back together again. This is The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Yes, indeed, we are on vacation. We are on holiday. It's Thanksgiving week, but we are not leaving you high and dry. We are leaving you with some great content to talk about. Whether you want to talk about this with your drunk uncle at the Thanksgiving table or uh, whoever, uh, we're giving you stuff to talk about because uh, Lord knows there's still stuff going on. Uh, joining us now in studio uh, is Graham Vise from Governing Magazine. Graham, good to see you. Good to see you, too. We are here, and yet we are not here. We are here, and yet we are not here. Is it live or is it memorized? I will say, and I just want to make sure that you agree with me on this, <laughs> Thanksgiving is the greatest holiday. You know, it's only up there. I just think there's no... No, 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 no You no, think I'm... No, I'm, no, I'm no, hedging no, no, here. No, don't hedge. <laughs> it is the greatest holiday. So what's your case, like, you know, bet, better than all the rest? For what reason, Peter? <clears throat> Graham, I'll tell you. Uh, first of all, uh, I love any sort of long, fussy, drawn-out cooking process. Okay. And I think to do... That makes one of us. I think to do... <laughs> I think to do Thanksgiving the right way, you have to really start early. Yep. My Thanksgiving cooking started this weekend. Uh, I think you start early. Uh, it also actually means something that comes from something that's not commercial, right? Yep. Like yep. Christmas, I think, has become so commercialized, it's so grotesque at this point. But, like, it's a nice time to sit around with the people that you care about and... Express your thanks for like, you know, no matter how terrible things are, no matter how things things can be, and they seem to be pretty bad and terrible these days. Yeah. There's still plenty of stuff to be thankful for. Plus stuffing. Plus stuffing. <laughs> plus pie. So there you go. I mean, come on. What's better than that? No, you've convinced me. All right. I, yeah. My good. My, my work here is done. Uh, but Graham, uh, you. Have uh, you covered a very exciting election here uh, in, in this country in the midterms? And we saw a lot of things change. Uh, and you cover, you write about things on the state and local levels. And, you know, I think Democrats um, needlessly were bummed out when they saw Beto O'Rourke lose, they saw Andrew Gillum lose, they saw Bill Nelson lose, they saw Stacey Abrams lose. Um, I'm not sure that there are a ton of progressives that were shocked and surprised at some of the other losses when you look at, like, Joe Donnelly and Heidi Heitkamp and Claire McCaskill and things like that. But there are a lot of things to be excited about if you are a progressive, right? I actually think it's really important that you started with the, I think, what was genuinely a palpable sense of disappointment sort of on election night, particularly on the East Coast before a lot of those West Coast um, yeah. races came in among Democrats. So I think, you know, the the realization that Andrew Gillum was going to fall short in mm -hmm. Florida, uh, the realization which, as you point out, should probably have been an expectation that Stacey Abrams, you know, particularly following all of the, um, you know, voting issues there uh, was going to fall short in Georgia. I think there was this sense that like on election night, Democrats were kind of crestfallen about the even though they, they were, you know, had picked up this the House majority. Uh, and so I think that if you look at the uh, broader uh, state and local results, as you point out, there is a lot that they can feel good about. Um, if I can't just for a moment 
moment. I yeah. just want to. I just want to say it is what Democrats do <laughs> is is get disappointed. Yeah. Right. And, and Democrats you know, got a Democrat. Yeah. It's it's. Just, I mean, it's just the case. And and you know, we came on the air on Wednesday morning after the election, and we. I mean, jubilant might not be the word, but there was certainly nothing to be upset or disappointed about. You won back the House. You were a party out of power. You now got some power back. I think that is. Good, and that was the goal. I mean, that, that was, was the goal. It was like we would like to take back the House. We don't think we can take back the Senate. I mean, the Senate was to call it a long shot yeah. is generous to long shots, right. right? Like it was never really going to happen, and it was really only a testament to Beto O'Rourke's uh, incredible campaign. You know, his sort of natural charisma uh, and all of those factors that there was even a kind of hope against yeah. hope. Uh, that Democrats could take back the Senate. Um, but, you know, I mean, one thing that I, I think d- relates directly to this is that, you know, Ben Jealous, for example, who was uh, the Democratic nominee for governor in uh, Maryland and had been uh, a prominent surrogate for Bernie Sanders in um uh, 2016, after being the head of the NAACP, he also had the greatest uh, 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 yard signs because uh, <laughs> I had one that said, uh, "Make the governor jealous." That's, that's pretty that's good. Actually, you're, that's you're good. absolutely right. That's Points. pretty good. Points. Make the governor jealous. That's yeah. pretty good. Yard <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I don't disagree. Um, but you know, he was really never. In that race, in terms of competitive, I mean, it's it, there was there was no poll that ever showed him ahead, you know, for a bunch of very complicated reasons that we could yeah. delve into. Uh, you know, Larry Hogan, who was a, a moderate Republican governor who had survived cancer, you know, was widely popular. And so I think the, the compounding effect of some of these more high profile progressive candidates for governor um, falling short, uh, you know, left Democrats feeling uh, kind of disappointed in some sense uh, on election night. But as we were discussing, um, in the end, the Democrats won what we call trifectas, control of uh, both the governor's office and the state legislatures in six states, in Colorado, in Illinois, in Maine, in Nevada, in New Mexico, in New York. That's in addition to already having control in California, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, New Jersey, Rhode Island, Oregon, and Washington State. So that's a total of like 14 Democratic trifectas, which is an improvement on on, on what they had done. That's remarkable. Uh, This comes after a great period of kind of... uh, recriminations over the Obama era neglect of state politics and local politics yeah. by the Democratic Party. There was all this sort of, uh, you know, uh, soul searching after 2016. I think rightly so. I don't, I don't mean yeah. to be totally, uh, totally, you know, mocking about it, yeah. uh, where there was this moment where Democrats realized, boy, we really have let this go and need yeah. to focus on this more. I think that's so important because one of the things that Barack Obama said when he left office is, you know, essentially, and I'll paraphrase a little bit, that change does not come that quickly. Change does not come quickly. Right. And this this era of Donald Trump that we're currently living in, this hell world that we live in every day, is not going to last forever. Uh, and when you look at the grand scheme of things of how politics is changing, I think at the end of the day we're going to get somewhere much more uh, likable than where we are. But this is something that did happen very quickly because the Obama administration, Barack Obama, I'll lay a lot of this at his feet personally, yeah. did not do a good job mm-hmm. of keeping these state legislatures. And I think a lot of Democrats, a lot of progressives, including Barack Obama, he saw what was wrong 
after well, like when it was too late, we had to go after these things. This is where the stuff really gets made. Having having a president of the United States that's a member of the party that you support is really cool. That's great. <laughs> right. That's something to hang your hat on. Not, like, ba- that's not a bad awesome. thing. <laughs> that's, that's not a bad thing at all. That being said, the work that you could do beyond that yeah. is so much more important. Well, and I think this speaks uh, to kind of a bigger phenomenon with Obama, which is that there was this sense that because he was this, honestly, a once-in-a-generation political yeah. talent, a kind of uber-charismatic figure, he sort of carried the party at the yeah. national level in 2008 and 2006, uh, 2012, you know, and... It was almost like when he wasn't on the ballot anymore uh, and we sort of looked at, uh, you know, the, 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 the sort of neglect at the state level and local level under his tenure. It's, it's almost like we, their Democrats had been blind to it for eight years and, and, and hadn't, they had. you know, uh, hadn't realized it. And, and as you say, I mean, I think Obama does deserve um, some fault where, you know, he, I think there there's been some good reporting on how he he made the choice or, or frankly didn't make the choice to sort of use his political apparatus to invest in those state and local level races. So now Democrats, the point is Democrats are are, are back kind of with their heads in the game on this issue. You know, th- this is this is purely just my observation, right? But like on election day, uh, when I went to go vote, and I voted early for the first time. I usually like to vote on election day, but I was traveling on election day, so I was able to do it. So I went to early voting. Um, the lines were insane. Yeah. And I'd never seen a line like that, even on election day when yep. I normally go vote. Uh, the lines were insane. They were manageable. Don't let that. Don't be discouraged <laughs> or anything like that. But like there was uh, an enthusiasm among voters in general. Yeah. That I had not quite seen before. I mean, some of the most moving images I saw were of um, you know black voters, pe- people of color, you know, lining up to vote for Stacey Abrams in in Georgia, just you know days before huge lines, and you know. I, there are no silver medals in right. uh, in politics, but I, it is we would be remiss not to say that I think both Andrew Gillum in Florida and Stacey Abrams in Georgia um, came damn close. Yeah. And and really had a theory of the case about uh, energizing uh, their Democratic base, particularly diverse uh, you know, voters, maybe people who had been uh, apathetic or, or disengaged or let down by the political process. Uh, and, and that obviously did pay dividends for them, even if it wasn't quite enough. I, I think the best example of that might have been Beto O'Rourke. That too, um, him too. Who also came up short, not mm-hmm. by a lot, but by enough. It didn't go to recount right. or anything like that. Like it did in Florida. He lost. Uh, but you look at the takeover in Texas. I think you could really just draw a very straight line between that enthusiasm in Texas right to Beto O'Rourke. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other the other thing on this uh, question of sort of Democratic victories in the states is that um, in addition to winning those trifectas that I mentioned, uh, in some cases they didn't quite win a trifecta, but they ended Republican control of the state legislature, which, you know, prevents the GOP from having the kind of majorities that would uh, allow them to govern or, or control uh, the legislature. That happened in Kansas, in Michigan, uh, in New Hampshire and Wisconsin. Uh, so, again, 
it's it's progress. It's a step forward. Uh, and we can talk about how there were some other uh, kind of rising stars who did emerge from from the, the election night and who I think we will now look to as kind of a part of the future of the Democratic Party in the States. I, I, that's, I actually do want to do that because uh, you, uh, when we were talking off air before we started, you were talking about the DSA candidates. Yeah. Now, um, I'm not a huge fan of the of the term democratic socialist. I think that in terms of democratic socialist party, I think that you could speak louder through your actions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they are a force for good, without a doubt. I think they are a force for good and cannot be ignored. You had some serious uh, DSA candidates who won in very exciting races. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I've been tracking uh, for a couple of months now uh, the DSA-endorsed candidates at the state and local level. Um, and when all was said and done on election night, uh, the DSA backed 40 winning candidates in the general election That's at, amazing. at the state and local level. If you combine the, the group's kind of national endorsements with the endorsements of local chapters. And so, you know, that's a a fraction of the races that were on sure. the ballot broadly but do you remember either of us talking about Democratic Socialist candidates a couple of years ago? Right. I don't. You I, know? I can think of just one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's just right. one. one exception. Just one <laughs> there was this one guy. Yeah. 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 What was his name? Yeah. Oh, hmm, uh, I can't remember. <laughs> uh, but but you're right. I mean, there, there is a sort of uh, it, it speaks to I think the same thing that speaks to Trumpism. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, I think that Trumpism plays on a lot of other nefarious uh, uh, things to get that, that have kept him in power. But I think it speaks to the same thing. People want to see a change. Yeah. People want to see a change. Uh, and change isn't always good, but they're willing to gamble on some exciting uh, new ideas. Yeah. And I think that the DSA breathes some of those into the Democratic Party. Well, and to that point, I mean, I believe that all. And certainly the vast majority, uh, I'd have to check my notes, of those candidates ran as Democrats. I mean, this is not primarily a sort of third party right. phenomenon. Right. Yeah, and so, so you know, the way that that's going to have uh, an effect is that in states like New York, for example, where Andrew Cuomo, a more centrist uh, Democratic governor, has now been you know, reelected with a, a very convincing uh, reelection margin, but also will have a uh, you know, unified Democratic government in Albany that will uh, you know, have some of these uh, new young uh, you know, Democratic socialists and, and, and uh, more um, kind of upstart progressives. Now, I'm sure there are also uh, some more moderate Democrats in that caucus. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see one thing I'm watching in for 2019 uh, is the role that this this handful of ambitious, uh, more left Democrats uh, uh, can play in state legislatures in kind of trying to shape uh, the agenda of the broader party. Do they end up being a more marginalized force that, you know, kind of gets lost in the shuffle or are they able to actually push their agenda forward on issues ranging from single payer health care at the state level to affordable housing yeah so that'll, yeah I'm, I'm looking at that I mean that's I mean that's a big step and for Democrats as the Democratic Party as a whole like that's a really really big step um, let's talk about sort of um, what state I think let me ask you this yeah what state do you think is going to look the most different next year uh, when you look at all the different changes that they had 
what state just completely just in a in a wholesale change of politics and policy? You know, I don't know that I could pick just one. I mean, I'm still sort of digging through um, sure. the the results here. Um, you know, I think there are uh, there are obvious examples of where, for example. Um, Scott Walker, who was Huge. for you know uh, for this audience an, a familiar uh, name, um, we're still cleaning up the uh, <laughs> ticker tape and the tinsel that we had thrown around exactly. after he lost. Uh, Sorry, so, you know, so he he he, he, he was defeated uh, by this Democrat Tony Evers, uh, who was the state school superintendent, uh, a candidate who campaigned on uh, expanding Medicaid, on increasing transportation spending, on unions, on uh, boosting school funding, which is uh, you know a likely uh, agenda item for a for a school superintendent you know so there are these places where a kind of iconic republican uh, uh governor has been replaced now with a democrat and i think you know that you're bound to see some significant changes there yeah. um you know i think it's interesting the the broader midwest was a um a, a place where democrats really ended up doing well uh on election night uh, and you know it's hard to um kind of interpret uh, the implications of those results. I mean, in, in many cases, they really campaigned on kind of bread and butter uh, local issues, issues like transportation in schools, which I mentioned, um, you know, unions with you know, strong, strong labor uh, agenda items. Um, but if you look at, uh, for example, Gretchen Whitmer, uh, yeah. who is the governor elect um, in Michigan, you know, she is sort of cuts a more moderate uh, a persona for herself. Uh, she ran uh, kind of memorably on the slogan of uh, fix the damn roads was her thing. You know, she, she literally to the point where, you know, she walked out on election night, this sort of, uh, you know, good looking family, uh, you know, very kind of folksy appealing uh, candidate. <laughs> and she says uh, she comes out and she takes the microphone. She says, well, I guess we're going to have to fix the damn roads. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is yeah. which is great. You know, and again, not not so much a, a sort of ideological uh, movement progressive candidate, uh, but you know, uh, a Democrat who's going to bring more infrastructure spending to the state and and uh, you know maybe pave some potholes. Look, I get very <laughs> frustrated when I see some of these wishy washy centrist moderate Democrats get elected to office. It frustrates me on a personal level because. <laughs> I just, I don't You think feel it, personally attacked. I, I feel personally attacked. <laughs> I feel personally attacked. But at the end of the day, uh, even those moderates and centrists, they have a D behind their name, and they will probably at some point break your heart. But for the most part, they are, as, as just as with the DSA, they are a force for good. And you cannot deny that it is better to have a moderate centrist Democrat than a moderate Republican. Well, and and Cuomo in New York, not to jump around too much, but who who we mentioned a minute ago is speaking a, of moderate centrist wishy washy well, Democrats. Right. I mean, it is yeah. is a perfect example of you know it's very clear that he is still uh, resistant to the idea of um, you know single payer uh, universal health care at the state level in New York. He he, I read a sort of a great quote from him in the New York Times where he was asked about the proposal and he said, "quote." Has merit, yeah, okay, right, which is great. you know uh, sort of non-committal there. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, in terms of progressives feeling good about that, uh, the governor, uh, you know, has said he he wants to codify Roe v. Wade into state law. He wants more gun control. He wants ethics reform. He wants which is a whole other 
thing uh-huh. coming out of Albany, coming out of the Cuomo administration. But um, you know, I think you know victory is bound to you know leave a good taste in Democrats' mouth, and 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 even in Albany, there's a there's a real uh, sense that uh, there could be a more uh, kind of emboldened uh, and potentially more progressive um, legislature that Cuomo now will have to work with. Okay. All right. So I hate to ask you to uh, look too far in the future, but this is what we do. <laughs> 2020 is coming up. Yes. Um, Democrats, I think it's safe to say, uh, let, let me ask you this, blue wave, yes or no? I think you have to say yes. Yeah, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> Even if it didn't feel that way. Right. I mean, look, but yeah, I, I mean, look, the numbers the numbers say yes. There were a couple of gut punches in this election, <laughs> right? There were a couple of things that really sucked and it did not it, it was not nice and it really bummed me out, right? right? Uh but there undeniably this was a blue wave. Uh so that being said, let's jump ahead to 2020. <laughs> um what sort of uh, election election are are Democrats gearing up for? I mean, what kind of changes could we see on the horizon? Right. I mean, I think uh, from the state and local perspective, you know, what I inevitably thought about is which of these candidates. Um, you know, if any of them uh, could have a, a, a future as a 2020 uh, presidential candidate, as potentially a vice presidential candidate, um, even if they were not able to um, to succeed. You know, I mean, since Stacey Abrams' um, non-concession speech, in which she, uh, which I love, which she, she said, this she is, said, "This is not this a, is yeah. not a speech of concession." Yeah, um, I love it. And talked about uh, you know the, this sense that uh, that there was voter suppression and 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 that she thinks that um, you know the the, the governor uh, elect uh, uh, in Georgia Brian Kemp uh, is the legal governor elect but is not the legitimate governor elect. Um, I think a lot of people are going to talk about her uh, as a future future leader in the party because even though she fell short, um, the campaign that she ran the coalition that she mobilized and frankly you know as you just said the the speech that she gave and the and the kind of um you know just just incredibly moving um articulate inspiring uh uh uh, uh you know yeah. rhetoric that she that she used um i think will make her someone who who democrats look to um you know in the future i do think you know um there are undoubtedly uh, some governors uh, who who may be thinking about uh, uh, twenty twenty. I think uh, it would be a a hard road for someone like Andrew Cuomo at this point in a Democratic primary. But that doesn't mean the the man doesn't still think about it. Uh, I think there are, um, uh, but you know, again, a lot of these I got a lot of these rising stars. Um, Gavin Newsom is going to be someone interesting to watch, who I think will move the California Democratic agenda to the left. Uh, you know, whether he would be a 2020 prospect, yeah. uh, you know, maybe a little too soon. Um, but but again, I I think I think Abrams to me uh, among the the uh, the sort of state and local candidates was the obvious one who, though she fell short, uh, you know, could could have a future in the party uh, moving forward. We will see what happens. We will see. There's, well, there will be plenty <laughs> to talk about. It uh, is early, although it is very early. The campaign is now, you know, off and running. 
Oh no, it's we're we're, <laughs> we're in the middle of election season for 2020. Let's make no 100%. doubt about it. Uh, Graham Vice from Governing Magazine, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you have a very very happy holiday, uh, and I hope that everybody listening has a wonderful magical Thanksgiving. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. We will be back live on Monday, so uh, we'll have lots to talk about as well. So be there or. What do they say? Be square. <laughs> Peter Rockford here for Build Press. Thanks, everybody. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.